3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio, the Wednesday Breakfast crew. Will here, hello. And hello. <laughs> we're also here with Idwin, hello. Good morning, good morning, Will. Good um, morning. The date is the 18th of July. Uh-huh. And, and we're looking at a top of 15 today, oh. so... That's practically spring <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compared yeah. to last week. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, we just uh, if we're going to go straight into the weather, basically it's going to be cloudy all day, mm-hmm. and winds are expected to get up to forty-five k's an hour. So to give you an idea of what that is, yesterday we got up to forty-five. Yeah. So kind of gusty. Yesterday we got up to forty-five, and there was actually um, a lot of damage that happened. Uh, oh. In fact, on the Glen Waverley line, yeah. a tree actually came down on Glenara Station. Oy. Yeah, one of okay. my friends was in the carriage, and she said uh, it was so bad they had to climb out of the carriage with what? step ladders. Oh no! So there you go, some extreme weather and some extreme trees. Yeah, gosh. Uh, taking out Melbourne's PTV system. Okay, right, right, right. Okay. So definitely take your umbrella, cause like hail, rain. Yeah. All on the agenda. Were you <laughs> attacked by the elements over the past weekend? How I have you been? managed to somehow get that nice, like, 30 minutes between the two storms. Right, right. So I, I made it out in the sun, in the brief bout of sunshine before it then went all to hell and started raining again. Yeah. So I was very proud, but, yeah, take your umbrella. Yeah, it's, it sounds like we should definitely... Watch out for, for wild, weird weather. Wild, weird weather. Yeah. Um, I've been having a great time. I went to see Blackie, Blackie Brown. Ooh. I'm not sure if it's still showing at the Malthouse Theatre. It's a play by uh, Nayuka Gori, I think, who is a playwright and, uh, um, playwright and author and general all-around creative person. And um, it's just the story of an Aboriginal girl who goes on a murderous rampage avenging her, her ancestors. And it's not about reconciliation. It's not about, um, making amends or anything. It's just, it's just, uh, it's kind of like one of those exploitation films from the, right, from yeah. the, the 70s. And I don't know, it was a lot of fun to pl- see. It was a play, but it felt like a film that had all this sort of crazy music and slapstick comedy. And it was great. No, it's cool to see them, yeah. such an individual story kind of coming out. Like, definitely. Yeah, it's great. yeah, yeah. Um, you have read, uh, some people who, um, sort of do things like read art criticism or have read about um, Blackie Blackie Brown so it's um, it's not, not like an obscure play or anything but um, if it's still if it's still going which I believe it might still be because they did extend it um, look it up and definitely get some tickets because it was a blast like it was That's so, so cool. good yeah yeah. Um, I actually spent my weekend in Fitzroy ah. I decided to come back and explore it because you know you come here for the station mm. but um, there's a lot of really cool like little artist pop-ups so I ah. decided to go along to them and look at all the like, little local artists um, there was a gallery which I checked out and oh, I fell in love with three yeah. of the pieces and it's terrible because I now want them okay, okay. <laughs> but I can't do it uh, so buying art buying wow. art I know that's just, the thing that grown ups do I know and I'm just not quite there yet but no. I'm I'm there enough to like appreciate the art and want sure. it <laughs> okay okay um, so, yeah. can you tell us where the gallery is oh um look I'll tell you later in the show because I'll sure. look it up for you and get okay, my sure, proper sure, name sure. okay um, yeah, so we've got a, a, a bit of a show coming up today. Um, mm. Some of you folks may have heard about a series of protests that happened at the same time on the same day. Yeah, so this actually happened last week, Wednesday. Yes. So yes. I thought we'd 
would cover it, seeing it's a Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so a week on, it was a three-part protest, so mm. really massive. Mm, um, mm, mm. And I don't know, Will, if you know, but it's uh, three demonstrations mm-hmm. uh, protesting three different things mm. in three different locations. So we had mostly students. Mostly students. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Organized by was it Wacker? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's really there's quite a few different organizations, right. and we'll actually get a. Um, I guess later on just to clarify because mm-hmm. I know we've got people from Disarm Universities as well as mm-hmm. people from um, uh, the Sustainability Summit as well as Friends of Earth and just mm. a lot of different groups. So it was, I think that's what's really cool about this protest is mm. it's a bunch of people mm. and they all decided to like put that in sync on the same day mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah, we'll be talking about the effect of that I really think because that's, yeah, that's an yeah, interesting that's protest. Exciting. So there's a two guests coming on later in the show. Two guests coming on. So we'll be talking to mm. um, Will from Disarm Universities about the Melbourne University protest yep. against uh, the development of military technology by the university. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking to Zayana Williams who will talk a little bit more about the BHP protest mm. um, which was uh, protesting against the destruction of the environment by, mm. you know, major corporations. So Hashtag no new coal, <laughs> yeah, which, is, um, which exactly. is something we've covered before on Wednesday Breakfast. Um, and then earlier in the show, we're going to be having um, uh, hearing from Songs of Satire. Yeah, Songs yes. of Satire. We've got a really fantastic Melbourne classic from a Melbourne 1970s band, yep. the Skyhooks. Ah, yeah. So hang in there, because it's going to be a really fun... That's right. And then first the off, top of the show, Alternative News, which we'll launch into right now. You are listening yeah. to 3CR Monday, uh, Wednesday breakfast. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah, boom. This is Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We are starting off with uh, our alternative news segment, which we do every week. And um, that's to bring you a sort of range of stories that you may not hit the front pages of yeah. mainstream papers. But we do still read the papers so that you don't have to. So um, <laughs> let's. can we start with yeah. the, the voting age? Let's story? start with the voting age, because we were yeah. talking about this before. Oh, yeah. we referenced this before, mm, and it's mm. a cool, ongoing topic. So the age ran a piece on Monday, mm. uh, Monday was my day of newspapers. So yeah. it was the voting age should be lowered to 16, experts mm. say. And this is quite interesting because it was looking at the uh, University of New South Wales law professor, George Williams, who said that really kids as young as 16 should be involved in the voting process. Mm. And what he balanced this with, because, you know, a lot of critics go, no, kids are too young. He said, well, 
In fact, there are quite a lot of 16, 17-year-old year olds who are actually quite engaged with the democratic system mm. and want to be a part of that system. So he mm. was suggesting that it starts off as kind of a system where people who want to vote opt in. Right. And then it okay. slowly progresses to the idea of universal sort of 16 and 17-year-old. Sure. So it wouldn't be mandatory voting like no, we have for everyone else. not necessarily yet. Um, mm. But that's... Is that, this proposed model. Yeah, yeah, that's the proposed model. And if you think about it, you know, uh, 16, 17, kids either choose to continue school or they continue to drop out. Mm. They're definitely becoming more aware because, you know, we're learning things about politics and Australian mm. rights and that mm. sort of stuff. Mm. I really do think, I, I don't know, I come from an 18-year-old perspective, so I'm yeah. fresh out of school. Oh, yeah. But I remember back when I was 16 going, yes, this is a thing we should have because I, mm. I, I believe passionately that kids have a voice and when they are informed mm. and educated... Mm. Why not? And you can imagine it's those those same kids who would be the ones who register f- to vote yeah. that early. Yeah, um, I remember on my 16th birthday, I actually registered to vote because I tell you to do it at uh, 16. So by the time you're 18, you can vote in the election. 16? I thought it was 17. Oh, I remember when I was 16 doing mm. it. Um, that, that so I was on the roll. to show how, like, how engaged old, slightly older people. I'm not that old, much older, but like, I had no idea that it was 16. I thought it was 17. Yeah. No, I had my representative um, in year six come right, around. Right, right, okay. Did it. Um, and yeah, so oh. I think this is the idea of engaging with the system yeah. and learning, like, oh, even 16, 17, it allows you to practice. Mm. You know, it gives you the mm. space to get used to the democratic system and stuff like and that. And to know that you're supposed to know who your candidates are before you yeah. vote for them. Yeah. We've got a lot of, pre- like, really prominent, uh, uh, examples of young, very young people being active in their communities in terms of um, activism and in terms of yeah. um, agitating for for various causes like, you know, SEED, which is a youth organisation yep. um, which do great work, um, a youth indigenous environmental organisation um, yeah. who do a lot of great work in that space and um, Minus 18, which is a youth um LGBTI plus advocacy organisation, which is yep. fantastic. Um, they do some amazing events, actually, yeah. that group, yeah. And we don't even need to look past the mainstream media to hear um, stories about, you know, the the, the anti-gun um, gun violence organising that's yeah, happening the, in the, the United the, States. Yeah, in the US, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, so many, like, pe- people who are a full 10 years younger than me... <laughs> Who are ten years more? No, that's just, doing that was some bad, amazing things. Yeah, let's yeah. Go with, um, well, much more uh, sort of aware. critically engaged. Yeah, critically engaged and critically using their voices. Politics than people who are who are ten years older than me, even. So I think that's the thing. Also, yeah. um, a lot of a lot of the times, and this is one thing that's brought up in the topic. A lot mm. of the times, young kids are dismissed for having ideals. Mm. They're kind of like, oh. Kids, you're a little bit too naive, and you're mm. too, you know, innocent. You're too black and white, and. You know, I take that very much on board. I do think kids can mm. be very like, this is the way the world should be. And mm. they latch onto ideologies. Mm. But that's also what gives them so much power. Because they don't mm. have, um, you know, a lot of the times, uh, Australian public, we have a lot of trouble with uh, mm. voter apathy. A lot of people go, yeah. no, I don't really care who's in power. I don't that's really true. care. They're just going to screw us over. Mm. And you got a lot of kids going, no, you know what? I do care. This is my future. And that mm. brings me to a point. Um, 16, 17-year-old voting. Mm. They're the ones who are going to be affected by legislative. That is, you for, know, imposed now. For a longer now. period of their life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, we really got to choose the direction in which this country is moving, mm. and to not be allowed to partake in that sort of decision-making process. Mm. It's like, but we're the ones going to be directly affected, yeah, and yeah. the ones who are going to be directly responsible yeah. for making sure our world is better for mm. the ones who come after us. Like, 
It's, yeah. that, it's that sort of... No, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Now, for our listeners at home who are um, hearing this maybe for the first time, probably not because this is a conversation that's been happening for a while. This is just a proposal yes, and just a proposed model, but it's one that we'll be watching with some keen interest. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll be, we'll be watching that definitely. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's the first piece of news. Yeah. My second piece of news is a little bit, a little bit angrier. Ah, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, this is from a different article, and it's just a small point I want to make, but mm. it's from an article called um, Boy Rivesky's son arrested in midnight police raid. Sorry, can you say that again? Yeah, sure. Boris Rivesky's son arrested in midnight police raid. So the story behind it mm. is Mr. Rivesky, um, so Anthony Rickard, uh, sorry, Rivesky, uh, was charged with murder mm. recently uh, with the murder of his wife, mm. right, uh, back back in June 2016. Mm. However, this is actually about his son, and mm. recently his son has been uh, charged or at least arrested and brought into the trial um, days before he was supposed to give evidence for mm. his father. But the piece in- includes some really innocuous details that get me a little bit frustrated, mm. including the fact that um, yesterday, Mr. Rickard faced Melbourne at Magistrate's course yesterday in a blue T-shirt and blazoned with the word rogue. Mm. Now, it's a small detail, it's nothing mm. to get really mad at. And what it's trying to do is trying to put you in the courtroom. It's trying to make you feel like it's you're trying living... trying to add colour to the story. Yeah, yeah, it's trying to add colour. But the other problem is, is it's also putting subconscious bias. Because the rogue, you know, we associate with, oh, dubious characters and right. shiftiness. And yeah, yeah, this yeah. idea that he could commit a crime. Someone who's kitted out in, like, Lonsdale clothes. Yeah, and exactly. And it's... Arm full of tattoos sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it paints a picture that yeah. the trial just does not need while it's trying to do a sure. process. Especially because mm. it does... It, it, it doesn't say, but it insinuates a certain level of guilt or, or at least possibility of guilt. Mm. Without, okay. And I, I feel it just kind of interferes with that sort of innocent right. before proving guilty trial process that we have in Australia. That, mm. yeah, I feel the media sometimes edges itself around. Right, okay. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. There's, um, it reminds me of a story that um, we covered on Three Set Breakfast ages ago, so mm-hmm. p- folks listening at home may not remember, but it was a... It was a story involving some alleged bikies and mm. um, how they um, there were proceedings around having them um, uh, deported back to New Zealand, which is where they where they'd come from. And the photos um, were simple headshots, but they mm. featured very prominently the the tamoko or the traditional facial tattoo ah, of, right. the, of the two men who are um, of I, I presume Maori descent, but I couldn't um, couldn't say. Um, and it has just sort of struck me struck me as odd is that you know of such a small article they wouldn't usually feature photos of of yeah. the of the accused and so they chose to at this point and so it just sort of set me on this train of thinking about why certain things get included and certain things yeah. don't and it doesn't do to spend like you know a whole day thinking like oh but why do they put that no, picture why there? do they why put they, that innocuous detail what are they trying to do however it's something to keep yourself yeah. aware to and yeah that's the sort of is. stuff we get to dig into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, now I wanted to turn to an article from uh, the conversation where they're talking mm. about the um, the implementation uh, of I mean the coming into effect of the National Housing and Homelessness Agreement, which is again something that's been covered on 3CR Breakfast in the past, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically the, the latest in a long um, long history of Australian government's attempts at dealing with um, what has become a housing crisis in yeah, Australia, definitely, um, and housing affordability crisis more specifically. Um, so this is an article, The New National Housing Agreement Won't Achieve Its Goals Without Enough Funding, written by Vivian Milligan just yesterday. Um, I don't really need to explain what the article is about. No, it's a very sounds pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> self-explanatory. 
Um, the point being made is that um, it's fantastic that this new agreement is a lot more broad than the previous um, previous arra- arrangements. The National Affordable Housing Agreement was one of mm. the previous arrangements, as well as a separate national partnership agreement on homelessness. And um, this new National Housing and Homelessness Agreement, um, which... Uh, it's 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 it sounds like it'd be really easy to confuse all three of those, but anyway, yep. <laughs> the new national housing and homelessness agreement um, is a lot broader. It covers both um, the housing crisis and homelessness, um, which okay. is good because they're definitely, definitely related. Yeah, definitely related. Yeah. But very different things as well. Mm, yeah, and also it requires a lot more accountability from the states in terms mm. of um, the states having to report how much they're spending um, uh, and assuming. That'll be matching Commonwealth spending, um, which is, I mean, not not that it'll be matching Commonwealth spending, but it'll be placed in contrast to Commonwealth spending, and so okay. states will have to be more accountable, essentially. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that the latest budget only promised to maintain current funding. So the current oh. funding is $1.3 billion yeah. um, for the housing agreement, but that means that there's no increase in real funding. Um, and given that current funding is not enough to cover current services, yeah. which are not enough, obviously, because we still have a problem with uh, a, housing, have a huge problem, yeah. housing crisis, and we also have a, a big problem with homelessness in the country as well, um, no increase in funding means no solution, really. Yeah, no, it, it seems funny that they've gone, oh, look, look at what we're doing right now. Is that, you know, is that doing mm. the job? Mm. No. Let's continue that. Yeah. It's, it's great that we've got a, a much broader look. It doesn't, Plan, um, yeah. it hasn't become a full national housing strategy in mm. terms of dealing with things like, um, looking at taxes on housing investment or talking about immigration in a real sensible way. Um, but, uh, so it's, so it's not as broad as might be necessarily complete. Mm solve the issue. If it's, it's much more comprehensive solved. than what we've had. It's more comprehensive than what we've had, okay. but it's not matched by increased funding. So yeah. the, how, how meaningful that is. So the plan lacks the resources to <laughs> fully achieve its yeah, potential. Yeah, and so that's just um, something that I think folks might find interesting to read on The Conversation, which is a great source of alternative news. Mm. And um, if we have time, I might like to close it out with a quick mention of what's happening in Lebanon. Oh, please do. Yes. yes. Um, so... Uh, a report from, um, uh, well, I'm reading this in Gay Star News, but it's all across um, all sorts of LGBTI um, out, uh, news outlets, that a, the Court of Appeals, so is, this is one of the higher courts, not the highest, but one of the higher courts in Lebanon has ruled that homosexuality is not a crime. So it's not a, um, a basis on which someone can be um, criminalised, which, um, which is really fantastic because it comes in, yeah. in the wake of a... A lot of polling with people in Lebanon, about 65% of people think that you shouldn't be um, criminalised for being um, being. Wait, could you say that statistic again? Yeah, 65% of people who are polled. Excellent. Um, yeah. So, so always always be you know um, a bit critical of critical polling. Critical of polls. However, but, that's um, a nice. Even though the majority of people still don't um, approve of homosexuality specifically, I think, mm-hmm. um, 65% of people think that you shouldn't be jailed for homosexuality. So um, th- this doesn't answer the question of how people in society feel about trans people, and we'd love to have um, um, some interviews on that in the future. Yeah. Um, but this is just specifically about the legal situation of um, of homosexual people. No, it's a great step in, forward in, in Lebanon. And, yeah. yeah, and considering that the Kataeb Party, which is a conservative Christian party in, in yeah, Lebanon... Yeah, you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. They, they actually went to the last election um, with a promise to um, 
to decriminalize homosexuality, yeah, which is a pretty big big deal. Yeah, um, but that being said, they didn't. Um, they weren't part of the winning coalition, so they're part of the March 14th coalition, which is right. a minority coalition. So, so that's not something that's going to happen through mm. through the parliament at this point. Yeah. Um, but now people are looking towards the courts, and it's um it's it's pretty exciting um, to yeah. see what happens over there. That is, it is, yeah. and I love, I do really love it when, um, especially religious sectors do come out in support for these issues because mm. it's recognizing that things like marriage equality is. They're, they're not religious issues; they're secular mm, issues mm. because they're between people. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, there's there's not omnipotent. There's not there's not a higher presence when we where yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it quite, but I really love <laughs> I really love when it's desecularized and it's just like you know what? These just people who want to love yeah, other people. Yeah. Like why can't we just let that happen? Yeah. Um. I, I'm not entirely certain what the social situation is in mm. in Lebanon, and we couldn't really speak to that. But um. But it's it's exciting to see um, sort of movement on this front yeah, um, in in Lebanon, um, which is one of the most diverse countries in the Middle East, anyway. So um, so you, you kind of expect it. Anyway, um, so let's uh, let's move on to songs of satire just after some community service announcements. Yeah. Does that sound good? That sounds yeah. fantastic. Let's do it. Three CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Hi, this is Hugo the Poet, and you're listening to 3CR. And by doing that, you're supporting community radio, an incredibly important institution in our times. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3CR.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. And you're listening to 3CR. We're going to go into songs of satire. And this week I want to start with a quote, which is um, eating fake food under plastic trees. Now, the statement is one of absolute artificiality, and I love it, because it's a society that gr- has like this growing detachment from reality. And really, from the context it has, it's this detachment from reality in favour of a psychedelic kind of futuristic, voyeuristic alternative, which is a lot of words, but we're going to get to them. So this is a quote from this week's band, The Skyhooks, which is a 1970s Melbourne classic. Um, and today we'll be looking at their song, Horror Movie which focuses on the sensationalism of news by Australian television stations wrapping up, uh, warping news kind of from informative to entertainment. And, Will, you said you recognise this song. I do, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it'll be known by basically everyone who um, had sort of Australian rock playing in their house sort of 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's such a classic. It's such and a classic. Yeah. yeah, it's got a very, very clear message, and mm. it feels like it's the kind of thing that people who are sort of in their early 20s can go, like, yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly what's happening, man. I think, like, you touched on some really great points, yeah. which is, first off, it's still relevant today. Yeah. So you're right, yeah. 20s kids... 100% would still be into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a massive classic. And, yeah, it's a very clear message. So we're actually going to keep this pretty short because mm. it's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. But um, let's let's talk about the context. So the song is set in the 1970s, which, as the quote said, was the era of the plastic trees. And that is a quote from the band. Um, but it's, it's kind of portrayed as this convoluted stage of Cold War violence and nuclear threat juxtaposed with the 1970s psychedelia drug and hippie culture. And society is really shown to be in unrest, so it's this constant protest against the police, government, and higher social norms within the song. And that's really comprises the first part of it. It also parallels movements such as the civil rights movement, the, the punk movement, second wave feminism, third wave feminism, and anti-war campaigns at that time. So it's this period of massive upheaval, and the song really shows that societal order is undermined as the main singer kind of spits out these incidents of violence and conflict. Um, police are subverted from their usual role within the song, from the protectors to the abusers, and the social contract with people, you know, citizens in society is even eroded as citizens resort to extreme measures um, and unrest to kind of, in order to be heard. So everyone is out for themselves and the rage on both sides is really palpable. Mm. So that's the context. Um, what happens with the song, though, is that they take this in a new direction. They go, however, these events, whilst occurring and whilst real in our society, are capitalised on by the television media of the day. So the Skyhooks really ridicule uh, the integrity of TV news journalism as stories are manipulated to become just merely horror movies rather than actual informative pieces. And they're not stories, they're not facts. Uh, with the magic of TV editing, they get under your skin like a real horror movie. They become, yeah, they become entertainment rather than um, informative. And by the extremity of its presentation as a thriller or a chiller or a killer, audiences are really separated from the story itself, and they're, they're, they're not really able to be as empathetic with it. They're only able to be shocked or immediately repulsed rather than actually engaged and aware. So it disempowers, disenfranchises um, audiences through moving it to this entertainment. And the Skyhooks really use this an, uh, an, really use this analogy to mock TV. Um, they also make the contrast to classic horror movies, and this, I think, Will, we were talking about, because... We have things like wolf cries in the song, which literally hark back to traditional horror films of yeah, that era. Yeah, it's there's no subtlety. There's in, no in this subtlety. Song. No. no, there's the um the vertical vertigo kind of inducing guitar that bendy sort of wow mm, right at the start yeah, as well. Yeah. And this mimics an actual horror movie. Um, and this hand up style of music really beautifully mirrors its the theme of the song, which is this violence is being repackaged as entertainment, mm. glammed up horror entertainment. And that's the punchline that this horror movie really is the six thirty news. <laughs> <laughs> And that's just spat out by the main singer yeah, who just yeah. who, who points out that 6.30 News, that's the most watched uh, family-friendly hour. And it's the hour that's displaying this absolutely horrible... International carnage. International yeah, carnage. Yeah, the world's yeah. torn apart mm. on family-friendly hour. Mm. And that's really what we're left waiting for, for our little window of anger, of rage, as we're all kind of glued to the screen. And mm. the Skyhooks point out, they, they're, they're like, you know, you are active consumers of this. You choose to mm. partake in this. Mm. Um, and the last line has got to be the most uncomfortable because I go, between the firing and the yelling shown on TV, you believe what they're telling. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of idea that, yeah, Australians are falling for the susceptibility. So there you go, some 1970s intellectual critique going, hey, listen up. And it's really a true precursor and smug kind of comment on the, this barrage of sensationalised media and our, our current obsession with, you know, fake news. I hate mm-hmm. to 
coin the term, or, or to, to, to say the term, to but the term, yeah. to tag the term. But yeah, it leaves audience kind of overwhelmed and unable to wade through all of this misdirection and exaggeration. Mm. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was watching a few shows yesterday, and you know, it, all of this is still present. You have mm. the the music that crescendos or the extreme close up of the guilty face. Yeah. You know, you have the um, the alleged charges, which somehow discerns that someone's guilty, or the emotional language of the mm. terrifying killer, mm. or you know, the um, the blue shirt emblazoned with the word rogue. Cause I'm not really the or the use of archival footage when talking about African gangs, um, exactly. which is one hundred percent happening still. Mm-hmm. Um, the the use of certain sort of filmic techniques and editing sort of grabs together to make it seem to sort of to heighten your pulse and make you sort of terrified of this thing that's happening outside of your nice safe house. Yeah, the dun-dun-dun type Mm. of thing that pulls you in Mm. and then tells you something completely false. Yeah. So it's this wonderful reminder that nothing's really new. Mm. Fake news, sensationalized news has Mm. always been around and Mm. we've got to be really aware of it. And Mm. is it satirical? Yes, it's utterly satirical. Yeah. This one piece that it's it's got the irony, exaggeration, humor, mockery and the critique of its audience. Mm. It's pure satire and Mm -hmm. here it is for you in full now.
Hello, I am Gabriel Gatte. 3CR is like a souffle, a challenge to make, but it can just go higher and higher and higher. Support 3CR. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your money. You've got to remember, Nanop's a special day for us, brothers. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! And you're listening to 3CR. So, I've got um, a little public forum to talk about. So, from 7.30 to 9 o'clock uh, on Wednesday, the 1st of August, there will be a uh, public forum about the New Caledonia's independence referendum and the future of French kind of colonisation uh, within uh, the Pacific. So, this is the actual referendum's having happening in November uh, 2018. So, it is actually happening later in the year. However, the press conference will be happening... Um, on August. And what I'll be discussing is having a look at kind of questions. For those of you who don't know, uh, New Caledonia was uh, colonised by the French and its indigenous population is the Kanak people. So the questions that this, this forum will kind of be looking around is how will New Caledonia's referendum kind of affect the indigenous Kanak people who have been made a minority in their own country after generations of this kind of settlement? Um, we'll also be looking at kind of like how the looming referendum will affect the French Republic's broader kind of agenda within the e- uh, Indo-Pacific region and that sort of stuff. So we'll be looking at kind of the politics of this referendum and the, the social groupings and representation and recognition. There's quite a few really cool people. Um, you're going to have Charles Way, who is the Australian representative for the Independent Coalition Front, Deliberation National Kanak Socialists, which is the FLNKS, because that's a rather large name. Um, you've also got Nick Masellan, who is a correspondent with the Islands Business Magazine. And Helen Gardner, uh, who is the Associate Professor of History at Deakin University. So those three will be uh, discussing it, and that will be held at the venue of the Institute of Postcolonial Studies. So that's 78 to 80 Curzon Street, North Melbourne, Vic 3051. So that was 78 Curzon, and that's C-U-R-Z-O-N Street, North Melbourne, if you're interested in going along. Um, they do charge, so the waged were, uh, for waged people it will be $5 for unwaged $3, and for members of that institution it will be free. 
So that's possibly something you might want to get down to. Uh, definitely Wednesday Breakfast are going to be following this story because, well, we've got a forum, so I think I might head on down to that forum and see what it's all about. And, yeah, we'll be following it up till November to kind of hear where that's going. It's a really interesting development within our region. That's right. And I just wanted to pass on a story, um, like, like we said earlier, some of the stories that we do pass on come from mainstream media sources, but this is a very interesting one that I think a lot of people should be paying attention to, which is the ongoing case of Ms. Michaela Banerjee's co- um, case uh, uh, for free speech. What happened uh, back in 2013 was uh, Ms. Banerjee was working at the Immigration Department when she was sacked um, after, uh, sending, uh, after having been found out sending out some anonymous tweets criticising Australia's asylum seeker policy. Mm. Uh, so the result of this is um, any sort of final ruling on, on her case um, for compensation could have implications for the government's policy on um, social media use by employees, um, mm. whether whether uh, employees of, of the government um, have the right to free speech um, whilst they're working at whatever department in 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 the government, and so this is very interesting. Uh, the recent development that's brought this story back into the news is that the Attorney General, Christian Porter, has um, has removed the government's federal court appeal, and so this will be moving um, s- straight to the High Court. Yeah. And so, um, so there, so there are actual sort of there's precedent precedent to be set here. Um, and I, I just find it particularly interesting that um, this is this is someone who's um, sort of act of free speech was one that criticised a a very um, I won't call it po- popular but a very very tightly held solid important um, Australian government inst- institution and an Australian government um, policy of of our treatment of asylum seekers. Yeah, it's important to remember Australia doesn't have free speech, mm, <laughs> isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. we like to believe we do. We go along in our cushy existence believing we do, mm. and then, boom, someone says something and they go, yeah. hang on, yeah, no, you're not saying that. We've got types of free speech, but we've we don't have of, We've got soft free, free speech, yeah. Mm. And I think that's um, one point. I know, especially with um, my generation, because we're much more uh, the computer technology generation, mm. or at least we've been... Uh, called so. Mm. Um, we do go up through through high school. They actually take a lot of time to tell you about how to present yourself on social media platforms. And it's fascinating because they go, employers looking at your Facebook, mm. your social media, mm. that's just going to happen. Yeah. And you've got to be responsible. So we t- get taught from a very young age to be obsessed with protecting mm. our public image. Mm. And mm. It, it does make sense because you do want to be responsible with any you know presentation of yourself. You yeah, you're responsible for things that you say Especially, and so this is something yeah. that we, we come to acknowledge um, but implicitly. It but it is really fascinating because where do you draw the line between uh, me making a comment and it either being you know offensive or political or speaking out against institution? You know, at mm. what point is it my right to say it? And what mm. point is it? Yeah, as you said, kind of like speaking against an institution that then decided to turn around and say, yeah, no, you can't say that. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Everything was fine up until yeah. that point. I think it's worth pointing out that Michaela Banerjee's tweets yeah. um, did not reveal secret information. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't a breach of um, sort of information security mm. and also was completely anonymous as well. So play, um, posted under an anonymous handle. And so this is an active investigation by um, the Australian government that led to her firing and um, has brought us to this whole situation. So I think that's that's important context yeah. to remember. It's not um, a poorly um, it's not an disciplined. Di- yeah. yeah, it's not a poorly disciplined person who's revealing national secrets of yeah. of um, security importance. Um, 
but but anyway, this is this is where we find ourselves. This is where we find ourselves. Yeah, um, we've got, um, some music. Yeah, I think we're going to listen to our uh, music. There's a jazz band that's been travelling its way around Melbourne at the moment, mm. uh, the Singambian Jazz Band. Mm. So we've got one of their pieces here, uh, Farafina. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was the Senegambian jazz band that you were listening to. Uh, you are listening to Wednesday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. Up next, uh, 3CR's Giselle Hanna spoke with Auntie Sandra Onis about the Japwarung Embassy set up to protect the sacred trees of the Japwarung people. Right now, activists have set up the embassy to protest the removal of culturally significant trees along the Western Highway next to a tree believed to be 800 years old. The planned removal... Uh, is part of Vic Road's widening of the freeway from Melbourne to Adelaide. The embassy is asking for people to head up and support them, drive or catch a train to Ararat and someone c- where someone can collect you. And you can get more info going to facebook.com slash warcollective. Uh, and we'll um, hear from Auntie, S- Auntie Sandra Onis right now. And I'm Gandhi Mara, Jabarang and Jajarang. There's a current struggle for land rights and for land justice right now with the threat of the um, the destruction of the of sacred trees at the Japarung. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we believe the trees, or we know the trees are of high cultural significance and trees of some activity um, prior to the invasion. And uh, Vic Roads are working on a highway, putting a highway through for the government. Um, I know it's a light in the load of traffic and it's for everybody's safety to a degree, but not at the expense of what little is left of our cultural heritage. Um, we have showed them that they can do it a better way a way that would, would um, actually satisfy everybody. So there is a way to continue with the expansion of the highway that goes around the sacred trees, but it might add something like three minutes to somebody's journey. Is that correct? That's correct, three minutes. And for that, they are prepared to level and change the whole spatial contour of our land and I might add there are a number of hills um, that they want to wipe out that uh, are going to interfere with our song lines. So I want to ask you a couple of questions um, about the sacred trees and about the song lines. Um, So the first, uh, let's talk about the trees. Yes, our trees now would have served probably several purposes. Um, one could be birthing, 
Um, one, another could be shelter. Another could be for smoking our eels. Um, so you see, not all were, were used for the same reasons. And then song lines. They connect us in our country to one another and also to other language groups, I suppose you'd say, and uh, clans from here to the top of Australia, north, south, east and west. And they are very important, important connections, uh, spiritual connections um, that are important to only us Aboriginal people. How is it possible that um, there was no prior conversation about um, what was sacred on that land? Um, I would I thought that was a, a practice of land development. W- w- was there any conversation prior to the decision being made? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there were there were conversations held with uh, other with Aboriginal people connected with the area, and also in charge of in charge of um, our, uh, our our country, I suppose. The Martang was, is a group that have been responsible for um, cultural heritage on country here. Um, we're finding that Martang did not have enough members for some reason um, I believe, I may be wrong, that there were only four members of the corporation. Uh, it actually favoured one family, so I believe. And a number of us, of course, aren't happy about that. Um, I had no idea that that was the case because I live in Portland. I have been more involved in Gundish um, Jamara business, I suppose, and than uh, Jabberung business because I believe it was all it was all being taken care of until the question came up about the uh, the trees and the uh, our countryside here that's about to be more of it that's going to be eroded. You've had a bit of a win, though. They're, the works were supposed to start earlier this week, and they haven't yet. What happened? Well, I suppose because of the protest um, and pressure being put on um, Richard Wynne's department, um, things and such a strong show of uh, support, uh, things have been... Have, uh, slowed down a little bit, but, but we haven't had anything in writing to indicate that there's a stop for work um, at this at the moment. We're I'm actually looking at some evidence that may indicate that these these trees were registered by AAV some time ago, and. Uh, we we haven't been able to look at the register uh, of the trees.
because we're not members of Martang. So let's just deal with a couple of things. What was the ARV? Aboriginal Affairs Victoria, which is the government body responsible for um, many things in Victoria pertaining to Aboriginal people, in mainly country. And then um, you were saying that uh, there is the possibility, having some um, research done about the sacredness of some of these sites. Tell me more about that. Yes, we are um, bringing out, uh, we're going to be bringing Heather Bilf, Dr Heather Bilf I should say, um, out to have a look at uh, the trees because she is the foremost um, expert on birthing trees and other trees. She's also an archaeologist and a, an anthropologist and has written a number of books on the, um, regarding the trees. So you mentioned a birthing tree. What is a birthing tree? It's a tree where an Aboriginal person, woman, would, would go to have her baby. Some of these trees, some of the birthing trees, were um, designated in our communities as, as all those purposes and special ceremony was attached to them. Some of them would belong to one particular family. And so there is an ongoing camp, a protest at that, um, at the site there to stop those trees being cut down. There's some work being done with government to try and prevent, um, the the road from going from the expansion going where it is and of course this research that you're getting done what kind of support do you need from people well i think that people could help by ringing richard wynn's office or emailing um uh their support for us and um to have a stop on uh we, we, we actually need what's called a cultural heritage man, management plan. There is one in place that Martang has, but uh, we, we need a new one. We need a new one that uh, is more reflective of protection for um, our sites. And uh, that was Giselle Hanna speaking with Auntie Sandra Onis about the Jatwarung Embassy, set up to protect the sacred trees of the Jatwarung. The lands of the Jatwarung extend from the volcanic plains of central Victoria, from the Mount William Range of the Grampians in the west, to the Pyrenees Range in the east, encompassing the Wimmera River flowing north, and the headwaters of the Hopkins River flowing south. The towns of Ararat, Staywell and Hamilton are within their territory. You can tune into Accent of Women Tuesdays at 8.30am, and if you want to help keep the pressure up to stop the destruction of these culturally important trees, call Luke Donellan's office at 03-8392-6150. That's Luke Donellan's office at 03-8392-6150. And if this act of cultural genocide occurs, the folks at War Collective encourage you to vote him out of office in November. To find out more about what's happening with the Jatwaring Trees, head to Facebook and search for War Collective. That's W-A-R Collective, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E. You're listening to 3CR Monday Breakfast, uh, 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Wednesday Breakfast, that's right. Uh, 
up next we're going to have a song by um a fantastic like one of my favorite artists he's I, they've only got two songs out really <laughs> but they're a um a queer lebanese musician um called Hansa and this is a song with Hansa and Mozaza um the song is Kayset Al-Ams
And that was Keset Al-Ams by Hansa and Mozaza. Uh, you are listening to 3CR Breakfast. Um, here in the studio with Idwin, I'm Will, and we've also got a guest. Idwin, can you introduce? Yeah, hi Will, I'm from Disarm Universities. Good morning. Good morning. So to give you a little bit of breakdown before we get straight into the interview, this is uh, surrounding the protest that was held last week. So we had a coordinated protest with hundreds of students, I believe, uh, kind of entered and shut down three separate buildings in Melbourne CBD. So we had uh, the shutting down of the Border Force, the Department of Home Affairs, um, protests of the treatment of refugees and asylum seekers. We had the shutdown of the BA, uh, BHP Centre following its part in the destruction of the environment. And we had a shutdown of Melbourne universities due to the research and development of military technology, I believe. That's exactly Will, right. Would you like to please, uh, could you tell us what Disarm Universities is as a group and what their part was in this protest? Of course. So I'm part of Disarm Universities and our protest last week was part of a broader national campaign that's been running just this year, which is bringing all university students together to demand that universities cease contracts with military weapons developers. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I was wondering if you could expo- kind of expand on what the protests kind of, oh, what it was about you've just mentioned, but what it also like looked like and how it took form and how it kind of, I don't know, grew from an idea to, a, to an actual demonstration. Mm-hmm. So um, our protests had a very unique strategy for what we did, something that we tried once before at the university and that's been tried in a number of locations. But to give it a rundown, basically we rolled in at about 7 a.m. in the morning on Wednesday and marched up to the administration building, which is the Raymond Priestley building on Unimog campus. Mm -hmm. And what we did was basically cover every entrance except the fire exit with a large barrel with a pipe cut through the middle. We then took partners to each barrel and handcuffed our arms to each other inside the barrel before filling it with cement and sealing it up. Wow, cement. I didn't realise it was so (laughs) quite so solid. Um, Why did you choose? Uh, it's a very visual. Obviously, there's lots of photos, and it's it's just it's so attention grabbing. Um, was that the ch- reason why you chose such a? It's definitely part of it. I mean, the concrete definitely helps in order to make us a lot harder to move away. <laughs> yeah. But um, part of the part of the uh, reasoning behind that strategy is also it is a visual metaphor. It's mm. arresting. It grabs you, and it also says something about us being stuck there. We have no choice but to do this. We have no choice but to stay here, and we cannot move. Oh, so that's a really interesting. Um, uh, point of the protest is it's kind of like you're lef- you've left us with no choice. It's That's exactly right. And that is that is largely true for our campaign as well. I'm also part of a group, a local group on the Unimob campus called Lockout Lockheed. Mm-hmm. And we've been trying to find out more about the university's military contracts for almost two years now. We've been um, pushing petitions, Freedom of Information Acts, and we've heard basically nothing back from the university wow. for two years straight. So can you tell us anything about Melbourne's university within that field? So absolutely. We found out in uh, late 2016 that the university has a $13 million deal with the weapons developer Lockheed Martin, mm-hmm. who are the largest weapons developer in the world, the U.S. military's biggest contractor, and a contractor for a number of other militaries like Saudi Arabia being used in the war in Yemen, uh, Israel being used in the Gaza occupation, and many others as well. Wow. Yeah, and uh, we've had zilch from the university, and this is actually leaked to the media, and that's yeah. how we found out about it. But uh, basically, we, we're kind of disgusted and outraged to hear that our university funds are going toward this without any consultation with the student mm. community, that this is where postgraduate jobs for engineering students will be funneled yeah. without any consultation with engineering students about where they would like to work, perhaps in an industry that doesn't create drones horrible, used in illegal strikes. Yeah, yeah, horrible weapons to kill people. Yeah, no, that sounds like um, kind of a rabbit hole that you fall down just as the deeper you go, the more <laughs> kind of horrible stuff you find out. That's exactly right. And that's why Disarm Universities is such an important campaign for us this year. It's 
not just about seizing these contracts of military developers. It's about seeing a bigger picture of universities that have become more answerable to their profits and their investors mm. than they have to their to students. students. The corporatization, basically. That's, uh, that's actually a really fascinating point because I, I hadn't really seen the process from that un- angle until you mentioned it. Mm. Um, putting the power back in the students' hands and away from, yeah, this company kind of investment and stuff like that. Could you give us just a little bit of a rundown of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, over the past few years, universities across Australia have seen this increasing corporatization. Mm-hmm. Over decades now, we've seen students get less of a voice in decisions, less consultation, and much less transparency. So the point of visually being right in front of that administration building and saying, hey, we're here, we're not going away until we get some answers, and that was our primary demand, to give us transparency, to release the documents about the contract and tell us what's going on. That's saying, hey, we're a student community, and we've got people coming past us all day, giving us support. We've got organic kind of gatherings of students coming past and asking us what's going on, what's this all about. Yeah. It's about putting a rival community out there and saying, hey, there's a student community still. There's a student voice here. There's yeah. a presence. Yeah. yeah. No, I absolutely love that idea. And I was wondering, you, you were actually there on site. Mm. Um, what was the energy? What was the feeling kind of going on? It was a bizarre energy for the day, to mm-hmm. be honest. It, it changed throughout the day. I think at the first there was a lot of confusion, a lot of staff running around <laughs> like staff headless chooks. Yeah. yeah, kind of not knowing what's going on. And then a lot of happy faces when they realised they got the day off, so that was yep. nice. Mm-hmm. But we actually had we had the day evolve quite a bit because after we locked down the administration building, we heard that another building on campus was being used for administration and they were funnelling all staff there. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so there was a soft blockade, an impromptu one, from a lot mm-hmm. of our team members there as well. Oh, so wow. maybe another 15 or 20 students who went and stood in front of the doors until that was locked down too. Wow, that's fantastic. And what sort of um, signs did you have on your, your big barrels? Because I saw the, the photos were, were they were beautifully painted, and I was mm. wondering, you know, what were the main messages you were projecting? Um, so we had our classic hashtags for hashtag lockout Lockheed, hashtag disarm unis, but also as part of the broader actions of the day with BHP Billiton as well, with the Border Force Office, we had Cultivate Change, Disrupt the system, yep. and all of these all of these slogans about bringing it together and realizing that you know these industries these problems are interlinked. You've mm. got the U.S. military being part of Lockheed, Lockheed's clients, and they're the, one of the largest polluters in the world. So yeah, so I wonder from from all of this protest and demonstration, what are the main goals that you're you're looking for? Are you looking for heightened awareness or, or policy action by the universities? I mean, yeah, or both. <laughs> definitely both of those definitely things. Both. I tick both of those boxes. Yeah. But um, also it's about um, it's kind of a twofold process of mm. first highlighting this issue, bringing it to student attention, and then talking to the university, opening a dialogue. But it's also about raising awareness that the student community is still there. Mm. We are to be contacted. We are to be consulted because we're an important stakeholder in the university. Yeah. what the university is there for. I definitely think our universities sometimes forget that they are there for students. And they're usually founded by people who love education and learning and challenging. You know, the yeah. new students are always at the forefront of the protest and progress. So, mm. you know, it's, it's weird that you see such a move towards almost conservatism or, or, or corporalization, as you say. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it called feudalism of the university at feudalism. times. <laughs> it's a bizarre change because, yeah, you're right, we see students on the pictures on the billboards. Mm. We've got a huge billboard hanging out the front of the university that says where great minds collide, and it's like, well, our response is great. Which minds are colliding? Here? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you see our minds collide and you suggest it's not the right thing. Um, yeah. Another thing we were talking about uh, before, which I thought was really fascinating, is the fact that this is a part of a three-protest or demonstration movement. Exactly. Um, and I really just wanted to get your insight on how the three groups kind of coordinated this absolutely huge thing Mm. um, and also why you did it. Like, what's the power in having such a synced operation? Well, I think the power is um, bringing all these students together and realising that it's an interlinked community of students from across the country and it's an interlinked set of issues that we have to be aware of. So we were able to coordinate these three because of a very unique occasion, a very special occasion, was we had the Students of Sustainability Conference 
for the Australian Student Environment Network in Melbourne this year, mm-hmm. just over the weekend beforehand. We've been able to meet hundreds of students from across the country, activists, volunteers, leaders in the community, all kind of coming together and breaking into these groups and saying, let's, let's coordinate this protest, yeah. let's do this. So it was very much a on-the-ground effort with a lot, of, a lot of coordination in the days coming up. And do you feel that these sorts of forums where we get basically young minds colliding mm. um, are really accessible? Do you think there's many of them, or is it kind of few and far between? And we've got to take them by the <laughs> I think that's exactly it. Yeah. There can be a bit of a drought of these things, especially ones that are really directed at students, yeah. for students, by students. So this is incredibly important that we have this every year to come together and hopefully more things will rise up out of it. I guess that's the point also, is it's, it's for students, by students. So mm. it's really important that you get that student voice. Exactly, that's yeah. it, yeah. And I was also wondering um, who, if you could give us an idea of just a few of the other groups that were kind of involved, because I, I do believe it was majoritively students, but were there other members of society kind of joining in? Or? There were definitely other members coming in, yeah. We had people from all different kinds of communities. Mm-hmm. We had people from local activist communities as well coming in. We had some people from WACA, the Whistleblowers Activist yep. Citizens Alliance, helping us out there. They've got a lot of experience, so... Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So it was a really big meeting of the minds, I suppose. That's exactly it. Yeah. Cool. Um, I was wondering if, well, if you're going to be doing anything soon or if you've got anything for people who are interested to kind of further their knowledge about this. Mm, this. Um, yeah, there's definitely more coming up. There's more on the pipes, you know, if you pardon the pun. But um, <laughs> uh, at the moment, we're actually kind of sitting on our laurels and waiting for a response to the university because we ah, have a meeting on right. Friday afternoon where we'll be right. discussing the contracts with the administration. It's actually... We're actually very excited because we reached this deal at the end of our negotiations on Wednesday right. last week. Okay, so did this actually came, kind of came out of that? It did, yeah. So we were locked on in total of 14 hours, and in the 13th hour of being locked on, we received an offer to have a meeting with the university administration, actually a meeting with the acting vice-chancellor, which mm-hmm. is the first time that's happened at Melbourne Uni in about seven years. Wow. So we're very excited. We're we're cautious, and we're waiting to see what actually comes of this meeting, but um, there will definitely be more action in the pipes. And for information about um, our Melbourne University's participants within this sort of development, mm. um, where, where can people kind of go to find out about this information? Because you said media leaks, and um, it's, it's just so covered up, I suppose. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, so we're trying to get more of a voice out there. You can definitely go jump on Twitter or Facebook and find the Disarm Unis page, mm-hmm. and that's you're going to hear about news from across the country. There's kind of action starting to happen in Adelaide and Canberra, Sydney, in Cairns as well. And also we've got our own local page, Lockout Lockheed, on Facebook. So definitely check that out. We'll be updating that a lot over the next few weeks. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about it. Thank Um, you. We're going to have to definitely get you back in to give us updates as you as you (laughs) can. (laughs) It would be a pleasure as long as I'm not locked on. No, totally, totally. (laughs) We're not going to lock you to the station. It's all right. right. Um, But thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. My name is Selva Kulichelvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated 
if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great. Really healthy and nutritious. La, la, la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. In the truth is... Brr. The Smith Street Dreaming Festival is coming soon. Smith Street Dreaming has become one of the area's most anticipated street festivals. This year, we're featuring Dave Arden and Band, Alice Skye, Benny Walker, Birds the Jury Jury Dance Group and Indigenous Hip Hop Projects with MC Layla Guruwiri from the Mangrook Footy Show and much more. Smith Street Dreaming, corner of Smith Street and Stanley Streets, Collingwood. Saturday, July the 22nd, 1pm to 5 o'clock. Smith Street Dreaming, one street, many mobs, one community. Smith Street Dreaming is a drug and alcohol free event and... A 3CR supporter.
were listening to 3CR Breakfast uh, here with Will and Eidwin in the studio. Yeah, that was Haze by, um, now I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce this man, but we'll try. Uh, Kakatu? 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 C-A-C-A-R-T-U. Yep. And that was Haze, wasn't it? And that it? was Haze, mm. yeah, which is a really new track. Apparently that EP only dropped like really recently. So oh, okay. Yeah, bring you the news. Weeks. Awesome. Um, so we just talked to Will from Disarm Universities about the protest last week. Mm-hmm. We're now actually going to talk to Ziana Williams, who is from um, Friends of the Earth as well as the Sustainability Summit. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about the BHP faction of the protest. So good morning, Ziana. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for ringing in. I know it's a little bit earlier than 8.16 and a bit chilly outside. That's okay. But I appreciate it. Um, I suppose, well, I'm going to start off one, uh, with a question. Could you kind of give us a breakdown of the BHP protest that kind of went on last week? Yeah, so we chose BHP because the whole action theme is kind of that intersectional action of the different oppressions, and we thought BHP as a company really was intersection in itself, um, being a huge mining company that has, you know, coal mines, uranium mines, and also works a lot um, overseas. So we wanted to lock down the building for for the day, like uh, many of the other actions. It was an occupation. So we had people um, sitting in the revolving doors, um, blocking entrance um, before workers started to get there in the morning. And then we also had um, some other groups join us, and we had lots of music and um, different chants outside with our banners. Um, yeah. That sounds like a beautifully diverse kind of uh, demonstration, you know, more of, yeah, more of a demonstration, celebration almost, uh, of voice. I suppose, what kind of marks BHP as an important ground for this location of protest? Because obviously it's, it's protesting against the damage the company does towards the environment, but can you give us a little bit more information about that? Yeah. Two um, main reasons we were there, and they were kind of wanting to jump on campaigns that were already running because we wanted these actions to kind of extend groundwork, like Disarm Unis, for example. So we um, wanted to jump on the long history of the anti-nuclear campaign that's been going on in Australia. And BHP owns Australia's biggest uranium mine, um, which is in South Australia, the Olympic Dam uranium mine. And we we wanted to draw attention to the fact that that affects um, Indigenous people first um, and also that uranium goes off and can cause, you know, destruction in other countries through energy and also um, being part of the uranium industry that then funds, um, you know, military and war, which in part causes refugees. So that's where the whole intersections happened. And then also um, we, were jo- we were joined by the Melbourne Rainforest Action Network, um, which are protesting against BHP's mining in South America, which has basically displaced um, lots of Indigenous communities and caused huge deforestation. Um, and they've got a terrible track record of like land, like mining disasters that have broken dams and displaced communities, and they're currently being sued um, over there for, for that. So, yeah, that's fascinating because you're talking about almost the environmental, uh, yeah, the environmental effect on people as well as, you know, environmental destruction. I suppose hearing more about these processes, it does sound like there's such an, uh, a crossover of ideas kind of blending all into one big message. So I guess what would you kind of say was the, the, the all-rounded message of this protest? What, what did you want audiences to kind of come away with as a, like a catch cry? Yeah, well, our overarching um, like kind of hashtag and theme of all the actions was uproot the system. 
um, which is like, you know, we were students mostly and we're meant to be, you know, the forefront of change and we're having kind of this vision for the future. And so on one side, it was like, let's uproot the system. Let's, you know, all these different interlinked oppressions um, are kind of upheld by governments, universities and corporations and they fuel neoliberalism. But then we want to... um you know, challenge that, resist that, and then our other kind of overarching theme is cultivate change. So let's dream up the world that we imagine, where we can all thrive, and that really positive message of students being able to um, be the forefront of social change. I suppose that is the, the fact, is it is a positive message at the end of the day. So I suppose what what do you really want to come out of this? You say cultivate change. Is that Do you want it to come out in the idea of uh, policy change, or would you prefer something like uh, just student awareness and student collaboration and more protests and demonstrations like this, celebrating voice? All of it, I guess. Um, <laughs> we want system change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we wanted to show that we could do an action that was really creative, um, like fun and inclusive, to encourage people to take on similar actions in their communities, um, be it little things or occupations or, you know, just really inspire people to take action themselves. Yeah, I, I suppose so. And I was talking with Will. I, I just wanted to get your perspective as well. This idea of a three-part demonstration, um, what do you think was so powerful or, or unique about this sort of movement? Because it really struck me. It seemed to cross absolutely everything and shut down quite a few little institutions and really make some serious noise. So, yeah, what was the, what was the reason for it? Yeah, well, actually it was four actions because there was a sovereignty action as well, which we didn't kind of want to separate into its own target because it's actually the foundation of every action being on stolen land. Um, but yeah, that was the four kind of targets were to draw the fact, like, basically they're the pillars of neoliberalism, those four themes, and um, they all work together to form different interlocking oppressions, and basically you can't fight one without the others, so... It was trying to, yeah, show people that all this is, um, this kind of system is crafted and that's how they all join up and um, we need to resist all of them in order to get change. Yeah, this interlinked sort of thing. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds like an absolutely wonderful thing to be part of. I was just wondering if anyone was interested in following kind of uh, your side of things. Uh, You're obviously with uh, Friends of the Earth and Students of Sustainability, but what sort of groups uh, was kind of involved within this and what would you kind of direct people to if they were interested? Yeah, so the Australian Student Environment Network, or ASIN for short, um, puts on SOS and they were kind of, well, we were responsible for um, those actions. So ASIN is an amazing network, um, like a national network across Australia, and there's groups in every city, so people should jump online and type in ASIN um, and check out what's going on in their local town because it's a really amazing grassroots network that's been going for years and years. Wonderful. And while I do have you on the line before I, I let you go, I was just wondering, Zana, if you could let us know, because I know you were an organiser, you said, before, behind um, Students of Sustainability Summit last week. Uh, kind of, yeah. what is the summit and how many years has it been running? And, you know, what's it look like? I'm not sure exactly how long it's been running, but at least 20 years. Um, and wow. it's amazing. Yeah. It's That's an institution. <laughs> totally. It's an annual conference or a gathering um, that happens in different cities every year, so different hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also like trying to draw the connections between social and environmental justice. And at its core, it's about um, First Nations, like solidarity and struggles, and putting that at the forefront. 
And so basically, it, the city hosts the plays, everyone camps out. Usually near a university, um, there's heaps of workshops offered by the participants that come. Um, there's plenaries in the morning where there's really incredible um, discussions. And then, you know, a lot of it's spent around the sacred fire, having amazing chats um, throughout the day. So it's a big gathering, basically, where really important conversations have been happening. Wow, okay. So you get, of course, you get speakers and events running within this and workshops even? Yeah, so there was hundreds of workshops that people submit before. Um, you know, there's 10 happening in every session and in the morning plenaries. That's, we'll usually have First Nations people speak, um, which we financially support to come from around the country. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, that's kind of the substance of SOS. It's a pretty amazing like atmosphere to come and check out. Yeah, and as you said before, is for students, is there a certain um, age bracket or is that just open to everyone? No, it's. I mean, it's usually organised by students, but it's ah, definitely, right. open for, definitely open for everyone and um, there's a hugely diverse kind of group of people that end up coming. Wonderful. Well, then I'll, I'll ask, um, how do individuals get involved in the future? Because obviously this year's has passed, but um, yeah, where should they link into? Yeah, so again, like, check out the Australian Student Environment Network and next year it's in Sydney. So if you're up there, um, get involved in the organising. It's, it's a huge feat to pull off, but it's also really amazing um, to see it, you know, be created from a group of people. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with it because I think it's a really, as you said, wonderful meeting of the minds and I think something yeah, people would really love to hear about. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us uh, your voice about that. And yeah, great. Thank you. I'll talk to you in the future. See you later. Great. See ya. You are listening to 3CR Breakfast. This is East Bay Ray from Dead Kennedys. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Have an orgasm for Christ. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6 p.m. Tuesdays. Great Voices number 17 is the latest two CD set from Great Voices on 3CR. It's a unique collection of rare opera and song featuring current singers like Kaufman and Kalea and the best singers of the 20th century. Colour, Sutherland, Olivero, Schwarzkopf, Ghetto, Corelli, Pavarotti, Carreras and dozens more. Some less famous and some unknown. At $35 posted, $30 at 3CR, this two-CD set, number 17, will delight you with two and a half hours of glorious pleasure. The previous issues are now only $10 each. Proceeds to 3CR. Ring now on 9... 9- or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop.
and you're listening to 3CR Breakfast. Now, we're coming towards the end of the show, but we've had some amazing interviews on, and I'd like to say thank you to both Zayana Williams and Will from uh, Disarm University is coming on the show and talking about last week's protests. And I've got a little bit here to read. Um, this was just published by the uh, collaboration of the three demonstrations, but it said... Um, students have taken action today to highlight a series of intellect depressions and the destructive system they claim is upheld by governments, universities and corporations that fuel the neoliberal agenda via corporatism, militarism, the violent oppression of human rights, the abuse of refugees and the deliberate destruction of environment. And as we heard um, just before with Lana, there's also a really important um, angle of also sovereignty never ceded, which also comes and interlinks into all of those different topics. So, yeah, I guess reviewing the show, we did hear from last week's protests uh, on July the 11th. That is right. We've also done quite a bit of alternative news scattered through the show. We were talking about um, the sort of progress towards, the slow and steady progress towards legalisation of homosexuality in Lebanon. Yep, in Lebanon we were yep. speaking about raising the voting age, all sorts of things all during sorts the show. Of stuff during the show. Um, very important to notice is that there is movement happening right now with the Jatwarung trees. Um, you may have heard earlier in the show we were speaking, we are hearing from Auntie Sandra Onis, um, who is part of the embassy that's been set down um, near the Jap, uh, in Jatwarung country, where Vic Rhodes intends today, or at least... Um, They've moved We've in bulldozers. Today. We've been told bulldozers have been moved in today um, mm. by Vic Roads to, to um, destroy those culturally important trees. And so if you want to find out more about that and how you can get involved, head over to uh, facebook.com slash warcollective, W-A-R-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E, so War Collective, um, to find out about um, how you can protest against those trees being removed, if that's... Um, if uh, if you're interested yeah. and if you want to follow that story mm. um, Definitely 3CR will be following that story though So expect updates from us about it uh, We've also had Songs of Satire today Looking at the fantastic Skyhooks um, And that was, so yeah, that was the show Thanks for a very fun show, Will And thank you, Aiden uh, See you next week See you next week Next uh, Tomorrow is Tuesday breakf- uh, Thursday, Thursday breakfast. breakfast Definitely tune in, 7am Bye and yeah. City Limits, limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.